Welcome to Geek Sweat. This is Review Sweat, where we look at recent streaming series of note. I'm King Dom. Joining me this week are TJ. Hello, and thank you for having me on the show. Good to have you, TJ. And also joining us is a brand new guest. Very excited to have him. Jace Harper. And Jace does the Disney podcast, Navigating the Magic. Welcome to the show, Gage. Hey, thanks, Dominic. Thanks, guys, for having me. This is... This is awesome, and uh, uh, kind of a, an earlier joke that you guys are going to miss is that uh, we, it's almost for me like talking into Siri or like Jarvis or something like that because I'm not used to being on a British podcast, okay. so it, this is awesome. I love it. Well, we do take requests. And we, <laughs> and we believe you're operating at 110% capacity. Yes, I love that. Thank you so much. So, Jace, today we are talking about the cultural phenomenon that we are in the eye of the storm of right now, Squid Games. And I believe you've got a unique perspective on that uh, from your side of the pond as well that you can tell us about. Yeah, so I'm actually a TV news reporter by trade. And uh, one of the places I get a lot of my pitches, obviously, is social media and, uh, you know, national headlines and stuff like that. Just to try to localize, you know, stuff to hear in uh, Lansing, Michigan. And one of the big things that came out once Squid Games came out was that there were kids on the playground playing Squid Games. And I don't mean like your friendly Red Rover or Red Light, Green Light. Yeah. Now, they did not they did incorporate those games, but they also incorporated the punishments that come along with them. Maybe not in the form of, you know, bullets and things like that, but definitely like fighting their friends and, and incorporating some sort of uh, punishment for them. So, uh one thing that concerned a lot of parents out here, you know, when kids would catch on to this. And the funny thing is, I think you can actually play those games on like Roblox or something like that. So that's where a lot of the kids were hearing about it. I want to say one thing about red light, green light, because a lot of people, I might be showing my age, but when I was young and at school, they used to call it grandmother's steps. So the idea is you're supposed to be creeping up on your grandma and the eyes were closed. And if you turned around and saw somebody moving, they were out and the idea was to tag somebody, tag the person who had the blinds on before they could see you. So it's about getting closer and closer and closer. I think there's a, a horror film out, which is about this uh, one where the light, don't turn the lights out, I think it is. No, lights out. Where I think if the lights go off, the horror creature can be seen. And then if the lights go on, they disappear. And then if the lights go off, they get closer and stuff. Closer that sounds horrific. Stuff. Also... In normal circumstances, you'd be like, hey, maybe there's a generational gap here on, on titles. But the fact that you guys are across the pond, it, it also has something to do with that as well. I have no idea. Yeah. Yeah, I think Grandma's Footsteps is just the English name for it. Because that's how I always knew that game until I saw it on Squid Game. Yeah, okay. So it has nothing to do with generation at this point. It's just a cultural thing. That's hilarious. Cultural thing, the game is universal, but it's got different names. Yeah, I love it. I mean, it was a bit of a shock for me to see that because it, I didn't think you could have a horror, or it's more of a, is it, would you call it a horror or a thriller? Kind of a high concept horror slash thriller. Yeah, and and to to base it specifically around kids' playground games is just like, it's, it feels like a very novel idea to me. Anyway. And then to have that played by actual kids in actual playgrounds. Yeah. Because what really surprised me is I've, I've got kids of my own. They're 11 and 9. And they knew all about Squid Game. 
I had like my nine-year-old daughter telling me how the square guard is above the triangle guard, who's above the circle guard. Yeah. I'm like, how okay. do you know this stuff? Yeah. And then she's telling me, you know, how... Insane is like, I don't even know where my kid picked this up. And it's like, well, <laughs> either somebody's parents taught him, or let him watch the movie, or, or show, I guess. Uh, mm. Or blame Roblox. I have no idea how they found all this. I think it's it's Roblox, but then they also see YouTube, and there are YouTube videos explaining the plot and analyzing the plot. Yeah, admit, that's true. I've been a bad uncle and I've let one of my nephews get hold of my Netflix password. So he's managed to watch the whole series before my sister-in-law found out. So I he's a squid he is Games the coolest expert. one in the playground right now. He's actually the coolest one in our family because he knows more about Squid Games than anyone else. And that is the true metric of cool right now. Yeah. We're taking a break from Uncle Trevor for a little while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just don't let them hear this. Yeah, Uncle Trevor's on hiatus. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then I've been online, I've seen they've made Squid Game costumes for kids as well. Mm. If you Google Squid Game costume, you'll see they come in all kid sizes and you can like dress your child up as the killing doll from the red light, green light game. Okay. I actually, that's that was my uh, my costume this year. I wore it to work and my uh, news director, because I had done that story, as I was telling you, thought it was absolutely hilarious. Um, you know what I mean? But they're just the easiest costumes to make. So it's like, why not try it out, you know? Cool. Yeah, I mean, that is Halloween sorted. And if you're like super, super lazy, you can just do a Snapchat filter because they've got those as well. So do you think um, Squid Games is going to be a big inspiration for like Halloween costumes as well? Oh, yeah, I think it has been. Um, and, you know, I'm not trying to dive into it too quickly here, but I feel like this has the potential to be multi-generational with more seasons and things like that. So you could see even variations of those costumes in future years. So, um, Chase, obviously you've talked about the kids playing it. It's like a true cultural phenomenon. Um, what other social groups in your experience have also latched on to Squid Games and taken it to heart? You know, everybody. I don't, I don't know one person. In fact, it was really funny. I was having this, this conversation with a few people the other day, and they had never seen it. And I was like, listen to me. Because, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, I don't want to deal with the dubbing or if, if they don't like dubbing, they're like, I don't want to have to read the captions, that sort of thing. Because, you know, we're Americans. We're, we're lazy like that. And uh, that's the dubs or subs argument, isn't it? Yeah. Yep. Exactly. And so they're like, I would rather, you know, hear it in their natural language and read it or whatever. But I don't want I don't like reading. So whatever you you basically just pin yourself into a corner into not watching it. And so I made him a bet and I was like, look. If you just watch the show, I don't care how you decide to consume it. Just watch the show. And if you're not sunk hook, line and sinker by episode three, I will pay you 25 bucks. Okay. And guess what? The next day they're like, I'm on episode eight. Wow. I'm like, I knew it. I knew it would suck you right in. Yeah. So Dom, tell us a bit more about Squid Games. What's going on? Squid Games is a high concept thriller. Um, I'll explain it very quickly. I'm sure you're familiar with the concept, but if you're not, it's from South Korea, and it's about a man called Ji-hun. He's in his late 40s. He's divorced. He's got a kid. He lives with his mother. He has no job. He's in debt to loan sharks because of his gambling habit, and he's a desperate man. He's in a corner. His um, daughter's about to move away to the States with his ex-wife and her new husband. He's got no money at all. And then mysteriously, 
this stranger he meets offers to beat him up for money. It's a little bit more complicated than that, but not much. And then he finds out about the Squid Games, which are these bizarre organised games where 496, is that right? 456. 456. I just killed another 50 people. 456 (laughs) people compete through these simple but fatal games for an absolutely massive price. Mm. Prize, which is in the billions of Korean won, which apparently amounts to millions of dollars if you're converting it. And also, I think every life that's taken or lost during the Squid Game is worth 100 million won, and it gets added to the pot, isn't it? I think so, yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, there's that giant wow. piggy bank that hangs hangs above, and every time someone dies, it just floods with more money. Mm. which is always such a bittersweet moment yeah they're like oh that's a shame oh look, oh, look. yeah well and by the end of it they're like oh well mm. there's more money yeah. you know what i mean like it's no longer like a, an exciting we made it through it's like oh my gosh look what we had to sacrifice to get here you know but symbolic symbolically do you find it interesting that it's like the light bulb in the room because they all go to bed or sleep in the same room and where the piggy bank is kept is almost like the the shining light that they look up to or the last thing they see before they go to sleep you know i never thought about it that's a that's a really you know kind of a thought-provoking thought there i mean it is the first probably thing they wake up to the last thing they see it's also the thing that uh pretty much controls the entire reason why they're there uh keeps them motivated slash maybe unmotivated at mm-hmm. points it, you know throughout the show so yeah i guess it kind of plays a character in and of itself uh, you could say so i guess the other thing we can say about squid game if we're talking about it really generally before we dive in is it starts off in what you could say is a recognizable version of the real world and then it goes into this extremely stylized space where the games happen. Mm. The sets themselves are stylized. There are the costumes, most iconically the guards, which are already famous. Yeah. But there are also the track suits of the contestants. So there's this visual split between the contestants and the guards. Yeah. And then there are different designs. There are like childlike designs for the games. There's an interconnecting staircase, which seems to be inspired by the artist MC Escher which Mm. is very colourful. And then there are also the private spaces that the contestants don't see, which are stylized in a different way. Mm. So it's visually demarking all the different spaces. Yeah, because there's VIP areas as well as the worker spaces, as well as as the workers' sleeping quarters as well. Yeah, and every space has a slightly different look. Mm. Well, and if you, the thing that I thought was weird um is yeah it looks like in one area there's just the pods where the workers sleep then you have kind of the the gen pop quote unquote you know area where all the players um you know where the players sleep and it seems while one is very controlled the other is meant to be kind of chaotic if that makes any sense yeah anything goes type of a situation you Mm -hmm. know the thing is, I was watching this and I, I think I got caught up in the hype of the series, which made me want to walk away from watching it when everyone else was watching it, because I didn't want to have that kind of chase like I had 
probably when I was watching Game of Thrones of I need to watch this episode before anyone says anything about it on the internet or it becomes meme worthy. And there's like a thousand memes now that I've seen, like even of ones where like a guy is holding on to another guy, holding another guy up by his uh, jacket in the middle of some kind of desert. And I'm like the two contestants. And I'm thinking, I don't want to understand any of this. Like I want to watch this in my own time, in my own bubble. So for me, I had to kind of, do my own squid game challenge of trying not to watch or hear anything. So I could just consume it for this podcast and also not get fritted away by somebody else's attention on what everything means and everyone's theories behind it. Well, and the thing is, is there's so much there to unpack, you know what I mean? With each and every, I mean, we talk about the symbolism alone. You could take, gosh, almost everything in this movie is symbolism in, in one way or another. Um, and that just aside from the actual plot itself, mm. really, it's it's hard, even on social media, when they are pseudo giving stuff away yeah. to really understand what happened in that episode or why that's significant. Like when you start seeing the doll pop up everywhere on memes and, and yeah. things like that, you're like, well, who cares? You're like, what's so scary about that? And then when you watch the show, you're like, oh, my God gosh you know but it didn't give away anything because you're just like it's a giant doll big look one thing i wanted to ask you as an american uh has this given america i mean america makes so many film productions tv series productions it's almost inevitable there may be the talk of a remake about this but is there now that americans have kind of have, have kind of locked into this series would you say there's more of an idea of an appreciation of Korean cinema and Korean high end series, or do you feel somewhere along the line, somebody's thinking we need to see these American guys do an adaptation of this? Honestly, I think it has 100% opened up every American's eyes to, to Korean cinema. And uh, I was actually just listening to a podcast the other day with one of my favorite comedians. His name is Tom Segura. And he was saying, just how crazy it is that he's found this Korean genre because it literally speaks to the American, uh, I, don't, I don't know what you call it, desire for film as far as everything is fast paced, everything, you know, has to do with violence or just something, you know what I mean? And there's always a plot twist at the end of every episode or, yeah. you know, it just, it, it plays very well to the things that we like to see here in the United States with our films and, and TV series and whatever the case is. And so it was after everybody got done binging Squid Game, they're like, okay, now what? So we look to Alice in Borderlands, even though it's Japanese, so it's a little bit different. It still kind of, you know, fulfilled that same desire that we like of it being fast paced. There's a lot of consequence. There's, you know, you know, things happening in every episode that uh, you, you can't miss a thing type of a situation. Um, so it's really kind of helped a lot of people to open things up. And I don't know if you guys have, and I, I hope not, you know, spoiling something later on down the road for episode wise for you guys, but um, Hellbound as well, that's also Korean. Um, almost immediately after Squid Game was binged, everybody jumped on to either Alice in Borderland and or, you know, Hellbound within the next week because it all just has that same flow, if that makes sense. Yeah, I'm actually interested about how that's happening because I always think with Netflix, they always try to push a certain category of show or series at you before you can decide to watch it. 
and as I'm aware, I think Alice in Borderland got released last year and Hellbound was this year. So there's this kind of sandwich of, if you liked Squid Game, this is what we've got next in Hellbound. But if you want to see delve deeper into the archives of what's good in Korean TV. This is what happened last year. Well, and I remember watching something and somebody said something like, uh, and this was before Squid Game came out and they're like, Oh, I just got done watching this really cool Asian show called Alice in Borderland. And uh, people should, you should check it out. And, none of us were really that interested. So I don't think it really took off sure. at all until after everybody watched squid game. And we're like, wait a minute, is this an actual, is this a thing now? Like, should we be paying attention to what these guys are doing over there? Yeah. 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 So I, I wanted to ask as well um, about um, the premise, because it doesn't just have this exciting, violent premise. It also starts off with uh, social realism about a guy who's really down on his luck because of the economic situation that he's in. And do you think that struck a chord in the US, Jason? Was that a part of its success? You know, I don't know. I don't know. That's, that's a good question. Um, once again, kind of making those parallels of he's he's down on his luck maybe he was having a hard time i guess having that relationship with his daughter with divorce and and all that kind of stuff and then financially i mean he's willing to get slapped in the face as hard as you know he possibly can for a buck or the chance to win a dollar you know not a dollar but on some amount of money and uh yeah exactly and how far someone is willing to go just to be able to have a glimpse of seeing their life change in, you know, in that respect. And so I don't know if it's Americans in general, but I definitely feel like as a human, you could definitely see that kind of parallel of, man, would I do that? If someone offered me, Hey, I'm going to give you this lump sum of money. If, mm-hmm. if you can, if you can play this game with me, if not, I get to smack you as hard as yeah. I can. And, you know, uh, you you kind of take that with a, I guess, an introspective view and be like, man, would I do that mm-hmm. kind of a deal? Well, I remember um, there was a film that came out, I think it was in the 1990s, I'll try and pick out the year, with uh, Takeshi Takano, Kitano called uh, Battle Royale. So I think Battle Royale... Uh, the sequel came out in 2003 and the first battle royale came in 2000. And that was about the education system and showing how some people are privileged to go get into further and higher education and that they had to fight for the right to do that. This is more like addressing like a national problem of individuals that get into debt and what happens to their lives afterwards because they're all seen as like really expendable individuals. Yeah, and... I can't even tell you. I mean, so in Michigan, the lottery is huge here. Uh, People that are willing to, in fact, I know one woman personally who goes to the corner store every single day and buys a lottery ticket for 20, 25 bucks, you know, um, in hopes that today's the day, if that makes any sense. Wow. Literally every day. Yeah. Every single day, every single day. The lottery is massive here in Michigan. I guess you could even say across the nation. I mean, they make billions upon billions of dollars. I remember last year. So in news for local news, anyway, you have contracts. So we'll do two years in one area 
our time will be up. We can either choose to renew for a little bit more money or move somewhere else to get more money and, you know, that sort of thing. Sure. Well, our last station we were at was in uh, Western Nebraska and the lottery is absolutely enormous out there as well in, in Nebraska. And at one point, I think the Powerball was up to uh, like $1.3 billion. But the number, but the signs, like the road signs that show you, okay, today's lottery is this amount of money actually could not keep up with how high the number was. And so it just capped out at nine, 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 nine. You know what I mean? It just, that that's the highest they could get it to go, but everybody knew what was at stake and it caused all, you know, panic nationwide. In fact, my parents who lived in Utah when there is no gambling, uh, were sending me money to buy them lottery tickets in Nebraska because of this $1.3 billion, whatever it was, uh, lottery. So, I mean, it is, it's a big thing here. In this I mean, did you guys notice there's a bit of game playing that's going on throughout Squid Game outside of the taunt, the death, the uh, life and debt, as it were, tournament? Because uh, you've got the main character, Seong G. Uh, played by Lee Jung-jae, who is the guy who's constantly betting his money on horses. At some point, he's betting or gambling with what little change he has to have his kind of grab claw to get teddy bears out. Then you've got um, Kang C. Buke, who is trying to gamble with the idea that her parents are going to come back and uh, collect basically her and a younger brother. And there's other characters who they gamble in the stock market, gamble in the futures market. It's like everyone's playing a game, even to the point where I think there's an Indian guy in there called um, Ali. Ali. And he goes back to his old workplace to get money that's owed from him from his old employer. And he's on the computer playing a gambling game whilst he's telling him he hasn't got any money. Yeah. So gambling culture seems to be rife over there. Or, well, the or, funny, th- the funny thing is too is it's, you know, what is considered gambling, right? You you brought up the stock market. People can go online and invest in day or do day trading on, mm-hmm. you know, whatever your your favorite site is there, or you can go play online gambling. But at the same time, you're essentially doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Just one, you're being taxed more money than the other one. Um, but the one is considered okay while the other one is considered, you know, delinquent, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah it does. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. That's American culture. <laughs> <laughs> but there's also a universal thing, which mm. is why Squid Game has just struck a chord, because it's like the number one show in so many countries. Mm. So I it's mean, touching on something universal that's happening in the world right now. I mean, Don, we did a episode before um, called The Bank Job, uh, where we was talking about eradicating like debt amongst um, individuals who lived in the UK and how easy it was to collect and 2.1 million pounds worth of debt and eradicate with like 28,000 pounds. Right. As in you pay 28,000 pounds to buy 2 million pounds worth of debt. Of service loans. So what do you think about this story being a fictional account of where we are now in terms of debt culture and the different types of characters who get into debt? Well, I think society has just come to expect um, a lot out of people as far as it's almost like you're judged by your your credit scores, your financial status. Uh, I mean, everybody wants to be the 
the Kanye West and Kim Kardashians that have millions upon millions of dollars and can take private jets of their own to anywhere they want to go. And, and that's seen as success. And so when that is your, you know, pinnacle of what you're supposed to be living up to, it's hard really to do it. And so that's, I think why a lot of people resort to things like gambling and, and, you know, playing the stocks and things like that is because they're like, I don't know what it's going to take to get there, but I know that this is one way that I could quite possibly make it happen, even though the chances are next to none, you know? Mm-hmm. I do remember a crazy stat, and this is um, from the lottery in England. Um, if you buy a lottery ticket in the morning, you're more likely to die by getting run over than you are to win the lottery, statistically. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. And it's funny because they run those stories out here as a, as a news person. I know this. Every time there's a big uh, a lottery number that comes up or whatever that people are waiting on, they'll do the same thing of like, look at every, look at this line of people at this grocery store waiting to buy a lottery ticket. But little do they know that their chances of uh, getting struck by lightning five times by the time they leave here to go home is actually a greater chance than them actually winning this particular lottery, wow. you know? That's crazy. And then, and then, but you don't think about that. Yeah, I think a lot of people, they 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 like the, the happily ever after story of winning a lottery, don't they? Oh, yeah. Well, and like I said, that, that person I was thinking of that buys one every single day, mm-hmm. it feels like there's not a, not a day that goes by where there's not a conversation that person has where they're not talking about, well, when I win the lottery, yeah. such and such will happen, you know? Mm-hmm. Believers. Believers. Yeah. Yes. But they're making their money. You know, mm-hmm. the state is definitely making their money. So who's your, Dom, who's your favorite character in the uh, show of Squid Game? That, that's a really good question. And it's not an obvious one because it is a character, as much as it's a high concept show, it is also a character driven show. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's the magic formula. Yeah. Um, I mean, I did like um, the main character, Jihan. Yeah. You, at first, initially, he seems like a bit of a loser. Yeah. But actually, as the series progresses, there's kind of something admirable about him because he's so optimistic, even in the face of really extreme situations. And it's probably his optimism, his humanity, you could say, that keeps others going around him mm. almost to the end. Yeah. I mean, for me, there was one character who kind of grabbed my heart and never let go. And it was the one called O Il Nam, who was the old man who's actually represented by 001 as the seeming like the first character who joined the Squid Game before everybody else, because he just seemed to be like a minefield of information and ideas of how to kind of survive and create strategy. And you kind of got these little insights into what his character was before he was brought into this world, even though he's afflicted by some like debilitating dementia, which seems to be taking parts of his memory away. And I felt like every time he came up on screen, um, using his wily knowledge, whether it's from the tug of war games or the marble games, it was almost bringing a tear to my eye, just seeing him just like struggling and powering on despite all the odds being against him. Yeah, I guess we should also say a word for, um, if we're talking about great characters, mm. um, Yok, the North Korean, yeah. who starts off as a pickpocket yeah. and 
she has a character arc where you see she learns to trust people, connect with people, probably for the first time in her life. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Was there any standout characters for you, Jace? I was actually going to say the old man. I uh, I thought, and I didn't realize it until the end of the show, and I won't, no spoilers or anything like that, but uh, mm-hmm. it seems like whenever whenever he's on screen, something huge is about to happen. <laughs> if that makes any sense. Yeah. And and I'm like, how does this how does this guy control so much of the show when he doesn't really do a whole lot, really? Yeah. I mean, he he's he's more there's like a a mind game for the lead, you know, for the protagonist. And he, I don't know, it, it, but for some reason, he has just such he holds so much water as to what happens with this particular episode. And then, of course, in the very end, you kind of find out a little bit more as to why that is the case. Um, but yeah, I, I would agree with you 100%, Trevor. I think the old man really, he doesn't carry the show, but you wonder why he's such a big deal almost the entire time. I think symbolically, he might represent the father figure that everybody had been missing in their life. Because I think before, at the beginning episodes, you see a lot of the mistakes that Seung Ji Hoon, and apologies for anyone from South Korea if I'm pronouncing that wrong. You see a lot of the mistakes that he's making with a child to the point, and it's a little bit of a spoiler, where he tries to buy her a birthday present and it turns out to be a toy gun. And then what makes it worse, it's not just a toy gun, but he's saying, no, don't worry, you can use it when you're late, later when you're old. And it turns out to be a toy gun lighter, which is obviously a dangerous item for like a young kid. And it feels like um, this old man character, Oh Il Nam, he seems to be like, he could have been the father to any one of those characters or the grandfather to any one of those characters. And he may have had, it feels like he may have had the knowledge to set him on a straight and narrow if only they'd listened to him. And he tends to be a character who gets listened to last in the, um, in each moment. Yeah, man. I don't know. I, the, the ending for me, and I, by the ending, I mean like the last like two episodes. Um, I don't know. I don't want to spoil it. Never mind. Forget it. Forget I even brought it up. But yeah. I don't know. Can we can we do a thing? We don't normally do this, yeah. but can we do a thing where we say, if you don't want any spoilers, don't listen for the next five minutes? Yeah, go for it. Okay. If you don't want any spoilers, don't listen for the next five minutes. Jace, the floor is yours. Hit us with it. I love it. Okay. So I was actually talking to my boss about this because he was one of the ones I was saying, just jump into it. And then if by... Episode three, you're not completely hooked. I will pay you 25 bucks. And then he came back and he's like, I'm on. I'm really five. glad that you said 25 bucks rather than say that I let my boss know about this. And then I asked him for 100 million once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I should have. I should have. Listen, I'm your best reporter. You should be giving me everything I want, right? Uh, no, but uh, anyway, he was like, I was 100% in. And I loved everything that was going on, but he actually hated the ending of finding out that the old man is actually the guy that brought everybody there. And uh, so it's almost like one of those in the fight club moment where afterwards you're like, wait, Tyler Durden was in every single one, but wait, yeah, wasn't yeah, he, yeah. you know, how does that even like your mind is just kind of blown. And so when he's having these, um, these flash moments of dementia and things like that you're like was that real or was that him just playing his own game with these people and then i think the moment that i mean i think when you think about it the part that 
that makes you believe that he was actually playing them for fools is when he says, Oh, but you were when, you know, when they're yeah, doing the marble yeah. game and uh, the lead character is trying to take his marbles and he yeah. feels bad about it. And he's like, but I mean, you're old, yeah, you're going to yeah. die anyway. Like I've got a life to live and a daughter. Um, and the guy essentially says, well, isn't that what you were doing to me? Mm-hmm. And then he's like, but then he says, don't worry, I forgive yeah. you. And then dies. Right. That was but- like the Kaiser Sose moment, wasn't it? And, and you know, what's ironic about that in the UK, there's a phrase called losing your marbles, which basically means like you've lost some of your brain cells and you can't function as you used to be. But we kind of say it in a bit more of a jovial way. Yeah. And so he said it was it was up until I found out that the guy didn't die. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like that. I was like, I'm out. And it's so funny because there's some people that are like that. They're like, no, I want him to not be in the show. If you're going to say he's dead, he's dead. Yeah, right. Yeah. But for me, I'm like, no, no, that makes the show so much better, you know? Yeah. And then, and then he's like, but then there was also, I, I can't remember if they split it up into two episodes where he finds out that he's actually real or that he's not actually dead. And then when it cuts to him later on in life, almost like a couple years or so down the road mm-hmm. and all of a sudden he's receiving the same card, asking him to play the game again. Um, and essentially the thing that I thought was weird is they're setting it up for a whole nother, they're setting it up to be another series or like a whole nother season. But according to the business end of this, it was only supposed to be one season. Yeah. And, and, and uh, the, the guy that wrote it and the director, or maybe he's not the director, I don't remember, but uh, he was saying that he had only wrote it for one se- one season, didn't want to do anything else with it unless he had a whole team of writers yeah. And then he would think about doing a second, a second season. Um, so I just thought it was really weird that they would write it in the way that it's open-ended, yeah, yeah. but with no intention of maybe actually even doing anything with it. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think they might've been playing both hands as it were in terms of games where maybe they wanted to create a layered world because there's one point where the, 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 the super cop who goes to investigate discovers that this act, this world or event had started from 1999 and he's trying to find his brother through the archives of all of the people who participated. But at the same time, it's like, well, how do you do something of this scale again without spoilers? I suppose. Is another I guess thing. that leads us to our next question, because even though there's a huge revelation at the end of what we know is the first season, there are still a lot of unanswered questions. Mm. Like we don't know the real identity of the front man. We don't know if um, his brother is alive or dead. Mm. He's probably dead, but he could be alive. Sure. We don't know. Yeah. Especially as there's a precedent for a character coming back from the death. Mm. So, Jace, do you have any theories about what could possibly happen in a second season? I don't know. <laughs> That's a great question. See, here's the thing that, here's here's my opinion about whether or not they even decide to do a second season is, I think the reason the first season was so like was such a phenomenon is because the idea was just so brilliant right um kid playground kid games turn deadly for adults that are desperate for money with all these horrible life experiences that they've had that people can relate to from from very personal standpoints um i think if you i think if you drag it out it's no like the novelty of it is no longer there. If that makes any sense. Like it was, it was good for what it was and it should probably just stay that Mm -hmm. way. 
but if they are going to do a second season, um, I, I would almost say come up with a completely new type of, uh, game show if that makes any sense don't do kid games don't do i mean completely sidestep this for the new season yeah come up with something completely different uh from from the first jace can i throw something at you have you ever seen westworld okay so do you like the idea i mean westworld for me is an example of um a series which instead of doing more of the same for the next season they literally expand the world by going into a different part of the world and I think we probably see that from an earlier series, which is even more popular around the world from America, called The Wire, where you see the five different areas of, is it politi- politics, the police and law enforcement and the um, street hoodlums in terms of how crime works, but also how um, hierarchy works. So do you feel that if Squid Games kind of looked at the hierarchy a bit more, is that a way we could explore the different world? Yeah, um, or just kind of show the background of like the recruiting process. Because how did all those guys, I mean, how did all those soldiers end up there to begin with? I mean, everybody's everybody's got this, like I said, it's almost like they're prisoners themselves and they've just been manipulated to be there. And if one steps out of line and their buddy is more than willing to tell on them, you know, uh, except for that, maybe that small little pod that was there uh, who knew about the the human trafficking? Yeah, sorry, not the human trafficking. The organ trafficking. I think it was, wasn't it? Specifically, yeah. yes. Uh, so, I mean, I I would like to know how all those people got there and how they were convinced to stay. But it is because it's super interesting as to why they're essentially locked in a cell for to go to bed, and then at the same time every morning the cell is unlocked, and they're you know expected to go straight to you know straight mm-hmm. to work if that makes any sense um and then to kind of sidestep that they show us the island but they don't ever show us how big the island actually is and so i think to your point of just how big is yeah. Westworld, i mean i think it is a good point like they could completely sidestep uh, those particular games and on, an, on the other side of the island is a completely different situation does that make sense yeah, yeah it does yeah, yeah. and i think it's, there's a shades of like the milgram experiment from i think the 60s about obedience and conformity so that might be another reason why you've got the guards and the game players kind of locked in the same universe even though they don't live in the same quarters well and the, the hierarchy part of it is a is a huge human attraction i guess too right you've got the 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 triangle heads the square heads the the circle heads everybody wants everybody wants to level up i mean even from a military military standpoint nobody wants to stay on the lower end of the spectrum they want to be up up on the top so you know what does it take you know i i I would i would be fascinated to hear that story as well yeah okay well, that is some interesting avenues. We can take it. Jace, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. We're going to have to land the plane now, but we're not letting you go before you tell us a bit more about your podcast. It's uh, Navigating the Magic now. As I told you, my wife and I, we move a lot. And so this particular job took us to Michigan and we've been trying to get settled down here. So we have it recorded in just a little while, but you're more than welcome to check us out. We're on Pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts. We're called Navigating the Magic Podcast. If you're a Disney fan, we do everything from movie reviews to 
to uh, park tips. If you come obviously here to the States, go to Disneyland or Disney World. Uh, my wife actually worked for Walt Disney World behind the scenes. Oh, well, not even behind the scenes, under a mask, if that makes any mm -hmm. sense, for five years. Wow. And they, they call it being being friends with characters. Okay. So as uh, is, is to not give it away for the for the young ones. But anyway, she worked with Disney for five years. My family grew up every single year going to Disneyland in California. And so we, we have a lot of insights and maybe things people didn't know about the life of a cast member or, or some uh, tips and tricks for the parks themselves. And then, as I said, we do a lot of movie reviews. So that covers Marvel, which is probably my, my favorite, and then Star Wars, and then Pixar and, and Disney itself. So yeah, come check it wow, out. Wow, amazing. We cool. will most definitely check that out. Cool, cool. Well, thanks for having me, guys. No, it's oh, been a blast. My pleasure. I didn't, um, you know, my, my opinions, <laughs> they're my own, just so you know that. You don't have to agree with anything I said. <laughs> All right, got it. Cool. Form your own opinions and, and watch Squid Games by the looks of it and see if any of them change along the way. Amen. So that is it for now. Thank you once again to Jace Harper. Thank you to my co-presenter, TJ. Thank you. Ciao for now. I've been King Dom, this has been Review Sweat, and we will be back soon with more Geek Sweat. Thanks for having us.